Welcome to episode one of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today, we're going to be talking about the IKEA effect. Let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, with me today, I have my colleagues, Ray Peña. Hello. Claudia Bergen. Hello. And my name is Jose Valcarzo. If this is your first time listening to us, then thanks for joining us. We're, we're going to have uh, show notes for all the links and stories that we're covering here, um, as well as our RSS feed. We'll have a website, and I'll probably put that up later because we haven't gotten that fully set up yet. But, you know, guys, this is our first, first podcast. We've been talking about this it for is. a little bit. It, it is, and it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's a work in progress. We'll get it figured out. Maybe we can eventually get some real theme music from somebody. You know, we'll, we'll figure that part out as we go. Yeah. You know, we haven't been talking this as far back as we've known each other because we've known each other for a long time. But I think the fact that we've known each other so, so long is going to go a long way. Yeah, I think uh, if you if you think about it, we've known each other, at least I've known you guys that I can think of maybe 14 years. Yeah, at least. At, at least. least 14 years, yeah. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't seem like it's been that long. Yes, probably actually even more. And I'm sure like if you account for all of the late nights at architecture school and everything else, well, that definitely makes it even more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. As a matter of fact, you guys have known each other longer. Yeah. Now that I think about it, it actually feels like I've known Claudia about 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> you too, Jose? Yeah. yeah. Too. Especially since we're married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One would yeah. hope. Yeah. Oh, you see, now you've, you've, drawn, you've thrown it out there that we married. I was thinking we could leave that out and let's see if people can join, can figure out what our relationships are. Yeah, you can just uh, cut that out later. Yeah, I'll, I'll may, I may cut that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get, into, let's get into some news stories before we get into our main topic. The first story here that I picked is called Just Turned 40, An Architect Says It's Time to Design for Aging. Now, this uh, interested me for a couple of years because it's this architect, Matthias Holwick, who's written a book right about you know approach he was approaching 40 and he wanted to write a book about retirement and all these things it was interesting to me because now that i'm doing residential architecture i've had to encounter this with a lot of our clients our clients are trying to age in place and uh, that's a new thing for me you know one because i wasn't doing residential architecture but two because i hadn't given a lot of thought about our aging community and how we're going to be treating them architecturally or design wise moving forward yeah, and what's interesting is that uh, it's something that affects all of us. Uh, I think I am the only one of us three that's actually above 40. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, my knee feels it. I feel it in my knee already. Oh, no, my, feel, my knees were feeling, feeling it every day. But, you know, we're all eventually going to age. Yeah, right. that's nobody the, escapes. Nobody escapes. Right. Well, I think the interesting part about it is that it is a bigger issue now because all these baby boomers, which is a large portion of the of the population, has grown to an age where they have to start thinking about this stuff. You know, like a lot of my clients right now don't want to leave their house that they're in, so they want to try and basically in the first floor add everything so they can live in the first floor, have their master bedroom, their bathroom, their and be in the kitchen and then keep the rest of the house for when their kids come to visit. Yeah, that's age in place. Age in place, right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which it wasn't the case for a long time. For a while, a lot of people were selling their homes and moving to smaller split spaces or apartments or something like that. Yeah, downsizing. That was very common. Right. I, I yeah. thought it seems like the downsizing thing is going away. Well, I- and the reality is is that people have learned to live and enjoy their homes. Nobody wants to 
pack up all their stuff and you know move to another place and get that usually means getting rid of stuff um but yeah it's interesting uh because one it's gonna affect us all and it's funny uh you know being uh in having been in the design field and and uh designing uh, commercial buildings i never once thought about how i'd have to live differently and uh so this uh this article the fact that he's written this book uh has kind of <laughs> and the fact that i'm above 40 uh, has kind of said, you know what? I, I really need to start thinking about this a little bit. Um, I also think, like from a from a female perspective, it's it's an interesting thing because it's like who ends up taking care of the elderly in a in a family? Like that's the other thought that I had from this from this book. And um, one of the things from this article, and then you know, eventually, like I would love to read the book. It, one of the things that it said, it like uh, that in the last three years of someone's life the elderly tend to move three times. Mm -hmm. I thought that was, I mean, to me, that was a, an eye-opener because mm -hmm. I would not want to be moving three times in, like, when I'm really, when I'm really, really old. Like, if you're at 40, you know, like, your your knee is hurting, could you imagine when you're, like, 80 or 85 right. and you're moving three times? Man, that's rough. Yeah, and I, I believe that because typically what happens is, because uh, I've seen it, um, you know, you're living in a house and you'll move either to another house or something smaller or with somebody. Typically, it's your kids. Uh, they'll only take it for so long until they realize they can't handle it. And then they'll put you in a home. And uh, if you live long enough and, uh, you know, you're nearing the end, then you, you easily end up in hospice. Uh, I can see all these things uh, happening. Yeah, I think the, the other part that I'd like to probably learn more about as we go, because I've seen it from the architecture perspective, it'll be interesting to see if there are other things that can be approached this way, like what else can be designed for people that are aging when we know there's such a large population, part of the population that's aging, you know? Yeah. So, so it'll be interesting. Well, one of the things that I liked about this particular article is how it looked at, it divided community, it divided home and, indivi and the individual. Like it, it looked at architecture in in, ev in those three areas. So it looked at like community and like what retail areas are, are available to the elderly, uh, recreation areas, health facilities, and how close everyone should be. Like all this, you know, these elderly people, elderly um, residents would be to their families or to their loved ones, right? So that's a community aspect. And then the home was really interesting. Like spe it talked about spaces that are familiar to them and spaces that um, where they can create social bonds. And I know, for instance, with my mom, my mom is 70 years old, 70 plus now. And, um, you know, she there's it would help if she would have a special place where she could bond with her grandchildren more. Mm -hmm. And like I see that being an, an issue for her. And from an architect's perspective, to actually include that in a family, like in your own home, and like plan ahead, yeah. that would be something that we really need to look at. And then the individual part is, what age is it that we're thinking of being the new retiree? You know, is it 80? Not really. I mean, mm -hmm. personally, it made me think, like, what age do I want to retire? And I really don't want to retire 65 plus. So if is, I could retire. Is tomorrow too soon? <laughs> right? Okay, <laughs> can I do that tomorrow? Right, yeah. <laughs> I will join you, Ray. You want to go to Florida? No. No. Nobody no, wants no. to go to Florida. Nobody <laughs> Come wants to on. go to Florida. <laughs> no, no. Not, never back. I don't want to go back there. No. No, 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 but no. yeah, and it's interesting because uh, Matthias uh, kind of looked at, at those things you mentioned. Um, uh, you know, the, the 
connection or in specific the separation uh, that uh, older people as they're aging may have uh, with uh, the general society. Uh, typically they're locked away in, in a nursing home and uh, they're, they're really segregated from the rest of the population. And the intent was that uh, the, we can solve this separation, this segregation of the different age groups uh, uh, with the architecture itself and mm -hmm. bring it all together. And he even brings into an example of having all these these uh, spaces and uh, services in one building and all these opportunities. Uh, what's interesting is that it didn't actually mention something that I, as I was reading, I was kind of expecting them to bring up perhaps the work of uh, Ken Yang uh, as uh, in order to establish these spaces, the inside outside spaces that could be social uh, or interactive spaces. Mm. But uh, that aside, uh, the, is a very interesting concept and uh, it's something that I, I personally am uh, looking into uh, a little more with every passing year. Yeah. That is an interesting story. Um, let's move on to the next one. Sure. Uh, so the next thing I want to talk about, it's not really a story, there's no link for this, um, but I had noticed uh, or I had seen on TV, one of the commercials, uh, that TBS started a, I guess you'd call it a reality TV show, because it is by Mark Burnett, right? And Mark Burnett is the the genius of reality TV, I guess. He started things like Survivor, and I think he even started The Apprentice, things like that that have been super successful. And so he started this America's Greatest Makers. And when I saw it, I was, man, that's going to be exciting. I, I was excited. I'm like, I want to see what this is going to be like. I imagined a competition of some kind. So all three of us have seen the show, right? I have some strong opinions about it, yeah. but I, I want to hear what I guess. Let's just go first, like, generally disappointed, Meet your expectations. You want to keep watching more. What do you guys? What where are you guys at? Um, you want to go first, Claudia? Yeah, I mean, I think it met my expectations because I really don't expect much out of reality TV these days. So, I think it was pretty good. It for its of what I think its intended audience. It kind of met met what it needed to do, which was you know encourage people, specifically young people, to invent, to become inventors, and then to make that idea that they have into something and then pitch that idea mm -hmm. and then have a panel try you know like completely pick at that idea completely and like you know say whether it's good bad or ugly and then cry over it and then move on mm -hmm. and so hopefully you make it for you it's the greatest show ever no <laughs> <laughs> well i mean we're in the internet right so in the internet it's either the greatest or the worst there's no in between there's no room for new ones <laughs> that, that is the truth. <laughs> what about you, Ray? Generally um, speaking, what? Well, we're, as we're for me, I kind of yeah. As for me, I kind of wish that I could unsee it. <laughs> uh, that would that would be a real handy uh, feature. Uh, the in principle, I agree with you. When you first told me about it, um, mm. I, I thought it was wow. That'll be an interesting idea. Taking people from uh, all different uh, backgrounds and different ideas and perhaps different products that have never been seen before or even uh, mo a modification or improvement to existing products that would be um, uh, incredible and offer people an opportunity, a platform, a stage to which they can launch their ideas and products and uh, and become a, a part of that entrepreneurial spirit that, that drives uh, so many people in this country. Uh, the reality was that it was a 100% sales pitch for the Intel Curie module. That's right. that's really all I got out yes. of it. So true. And and the they they don't make any 
apologies about it. If you look at the stage, the the walls behind the judges are like a circuit board. Yeah. The yeah. floor is the circuit board that's interacting between the judges and the and the uh, the game show contestants. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, really, the entire thing was: here's our new module. Here's how we're uh, asking people to use it, and only it. Basically, that's all it was. Mm -hmm. So it really is kind of a limiting factor as far as making is concerned because they've they've given you everybody basically a box and they say well th you know think about how we can push this in different directions mm -hmm. and I guarantee you that at the end they're going to come up with a product that they're going to mass market and really the the biggest winner is going to be Intel. Right. No. I, I. You know what? I agree 100. percent I I went into it thinking you know what? I hope this is some kind of competition where they got like eight teams of makers and then they're gonna give them a, a challenge each week and then you start eliminating them and then the, the last ones are the winners some, something along those lines yeah. where like every week there'd be some innovation or some problem to solve but that's not what it was at all and I agree with you and not only, not only is in <laughs> a commercial for Intel's Curie module like clearly Arduino didn't pay to be in it because even though you see the Arduino chip because the, the Intel Curie module is in the Arduino 101 and you see the Arduino 101, they never mention Arduino. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, and then the, the other part of it, again, from the beginning, I had issue with the judges. Like, out of the four judges, I thought two of them belonged there. Kenny Smith is an NBA player. He has no business <laughs> judging any of this. And yeah. I know they, they, they said he was a, a, um, a philanthropist or investor, but I, why, why is he there? And the woman, Carol Roth, they introduced her as a media personality. And I, they also said she was part of the future file. I don't know what that is. I, I guess I'd have to look into it. Maybe that would change my mind about her. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I don't, I didn't think she had any business there either. There's gotta be other people you could bring. Like I I, I would have put Adam Savage on this panel. Oh, absolutely. That would have been a better choice. Right. Uh, but the reality is he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have wasted his time with this. No, because it, it's, <laughs> it's a sales pitch. And, yeah. then, and then when you looked at the, out of the, there were, how many advanced ones? Eight of them advanced, and out of the eight that advanced, more than half are all using this are this Intel Curry module to track something, whether it's how you brush your teeth or a dog or oh, a dog or, or the, the cow. Yep. But mm -hmm. it was all basically like Fitbits. That's what these guys were all making: Fitbits for a cow, Fitbit for a dog. Uh, Fitbit toothbrush. Human. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it, yeah. so. It was so. so it's basically much of the one same. idea used different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, we, we, I'm gonna keep watching it just so we can talk about it here again. Maybe I'll, I'll give it a couple more episodes. But I was disappointed with the show. So yeah. you guys are saying that this will not be like the top chef of makers, like no, no. Where this is brought to you by Green Giant and Goya. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I get your point. And yeah, there, all of these reality shows are to a certain degree selling something. I know and we've seen Top Chef or one of them that was pushing Walmart steaks, yeah. like in a cooking competition. You're pushing Walmart steaks. I don't, I don't understand where that's <laughs> coming from. So I get okay. So yeah, it has to be sponsored by somebody, but it's not even really a competition. It's like Shark Tank for Intel. It's what yeah. you had here. Yes, because that's what's going to happen. Intel is going to pick and choose the best money-making ideas that they can find, and they're getting people to do it for them basically for free because I'm sure part of the disclosure is uh, whatever you come up with, it's their idea. And uh, at the end, only one person gets a uh, million dollars to develop a product for Intel. <laughs> uh, 
um, right. so it's it's kind of a uh, and, and honestly a million dollars sounds like a lot of money and for an average person I think a million dollars is a lot of money for me it would be a lot of money but when it comes to business when it comes to marketing when it comes to to manufacturing and, and electronics and everything they're doing here uh, it's really not uh, it, it's gonna take quite a bit of money to take a product off the ground and um, really they're the only thing that they're uh, interested in is how to make m many more millions yeah, yeah. so overall with the rating system that established to me it's the worst show ever <laughs> yeah I agree <laughs> but we'll keep watching and let's let's check back on it again next week and, and see if it's gotten any better okay all right so moving on to the next story here it's uh, 3d printing for all is what the headline is and you added this story Ray uh, it's about a 3d printer a new 3d printer why don't you tell us a little bit about it uh, yeah I did add this um, as you know that I manufacture a lot of stuff and I have access to a lot of different equipment and uh, technology, uh, 3D printing being one of them. Uh, I've seen 3D printing go uh, in the beginning from a, a $300 to $500,000 machine to a machine that the average person can afford uh, to put in their in their office, and and um, it, it has taken manufacturing from a high tech, highly skilled, highly involved. Field to the hands of the average person. This particular article talking about the uh, the Olo, basically handheld 3D printer, mm -hmm. um, is a particular innovation because the 3D printer uh, has now become the under a hundred dollar uh, uh, piece of equipment. Uh, kind of like a breakthrough with the hundred dollar PC. Well, mm -hmm. this is the hundred dollar 3D printer, and before this, the 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 least expensive commercially available printer was about $500 and I know that there's some developments into less expensive 3D printers and I think uh, you and Claudia are, are have one on order. Yeah, but yeah, we, we, we found one through Kickstarter that we've ordered for, I think it was 179 mm -hmm. so yeah. So this one beats that one, mm -hmm. but uh, what it has done, it has taken, and I could see this being an enormous um, first foot in for the average person. Uh, between uh, designing, coding, mm -hmm. and manufacturing, all on your on your phone with an app, apps that people are very uh, used to using nowadays, uh, it brings that power of manufacturing right down into your hands as an average person. Even more importantly, uh, you know the average young person, full of ideas, full of of uh, energy. Uh, this is going to be, uh, I think, the first step in bringing the 3D printing technology to every household like a microwave oven. Yeah, yeah no, and you know, it's interesting because 3D printing, even now, when you buy the $500, $600 one, it's still a difficult thing to do. It's not like you just take it out of the box and you start printing. Oh, There's yeah, a, a lot, lot of trial and error there. Yeah, a lot to learn, a lot to fine-tune. Um, this one because of the, of the way it works and we actually saw the, uh, the prototype for this when we were at Maker Fair, Claudia and I went to Maker Fair last, was it last November? Right mm -hmm. around November, right? Yeah. We, yeah, we saw it there, they, it wasn't working, I, or, I mean it takes some time to do so, that's, that's the one drawback with this thing is how long you have to have your phone under there, I don't know. The thing that attracted me to 3D printer was is like, it's just, it's like the replicator from Star Trek is coming to life here soon. And this yeah. isn't quite it yet, but it we're, we're moving in that direction. Oh yeah, we're getting closer every day. Uh, I, I have a feeling we're going to see something like that in our lifetime. 
what's interesting, and I, and I should probably should have covered this first, is that this is basically a, a small box that fits over your existing yeah. smartphone and uses the, the light emitting characteristics of your phone to solidify a gel-based medium mm -hmm. in order to create a 3D model. Yeah, yeah, which is slightly different how 3D printers work is they're melting a piece of plastic and layering it on top of itself. Correct. As uh, and build it up from there. Yeah, yeah. but actually the uh, the solidification of a gel medium, uh, as far as for 3D printers, has been around for some time, uh, but usually involves lasers. You have to have mm -hmm. a laser that actually cures just where it's where it is uh, lighting up the surface. So. Uh, this actually uh, eliminates, with this technology, eliminates the need for a laser. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, to me, like, this this particular topic that we're talking about right now, 3D printing, is very poignant to our podcast. I mean, a purpose-driven tool. Like, this is basically it. This is the, it's now accessible, not just for the individual and the average household, but it's also accessible for small business entrepreneurs social enterprises or nonprofits that otherwise wouldn't have the funds up front to be able to use something like this, to be able to use this printers that they um, can now use it for making prototypes mm -hmm. for their business, yeah. right? So it's, it's really valuable in that sense and it's specifically used in um, ideation in that particular phase of a product design, right? And now where you have your um, your product and then you can go and pitch to investors and you know you can continue your design, pro your uh, entrepreneur process, right? Mm -hmm. Or your product process. Yeah, you're talking about from design to prototype. Exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. for women as a whole, um, you know, because it is easy to use. Whether whether it's this one that is, is using uh, mobile, your mobile, or you're using the, the typical 3D printers that we're seeing, it is very easy to use. So women can use this, you know, for jewelry design or even um, fabric. I've seen 3D fabric mm -hmm. print, yeah, you know, yeah. like printing. So that mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Well, I've seen entire dresses, mm -hmm. entire dresses that were 3D printed. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then the whole cradle to grave process. I also see that um, being you being helpful to that process too, because then you have this ability of making a small little part that you, for instance, like if you have a furniture, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have like my favorite piece of furniture, my favorite clock, and it breaks. And now I have to throw it away mm -hmm. because I the whole thing break and you know there's maybe a little piece of plastic that I can't find anywhere. But now I can actually print that plastic, mm -hmm. and voila, you know now I have it again and I don't have to throw this, you know, clock or this heirloom that I got. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. Now it's like I can actually save it. Yeah, it's been bringing back the ability for people to make things they could only go buy for a long time. And yeah. That's really and what interesting. And about I think it. it would actually, in our lifetime, in the future, we'll we may see this. But uh, going with that idea that that Claudia brought up about cradle grave, is that there isn't any reason uh, once the technology gets there uh, to use biodegradable materials or uh, bio-sourced materials for the resins instead of being uh, petroleum-based uh, plastics right. as they are now. Uh, you know, it's a it's a baby step, one thing at a time. But uh, there is a possibility that uh, you and and you know thinking about Star Trek and the replicator, I kind of think of like um, uh, you add material, so you could actually just recycle your own products at home. You put the products in, it grinds them up, and it creates raw material for you to use for your next product. So uh, would potentially bring the the concept of reusable and recycled 
right in your own home. There's no need to take it to another facility. There's no in-between place. Uh, you, you have raw material uh, available to you. When something outlives its useful, usefulness, you put it back into the system, yeah. and you make something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of potential, a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Imagine taking a kid's toy that he no longer plays with, you grind that thing up, and then you print out the next toy that he's going to play with, the next action figure or something, you know? <sighs> That'd that would be, awesome. be great. That would yeah. be really good. Yeah, and mommies course, would like that. <laughs> and, of course, it, it opens up the possibility for uh, an entire new economy because now instead of uh, having people working in a store or or serving uh, in the service industry, now you have p- professionals that are uh, creating models, designing products, and selling files. And companies can, and anyone can do it. So it brings that same entrepreneurship that we saw with, with cell phone, smartphone apps, you know, 13-year-old kids making the smartphone apps and paying for college from uh, being so creative and creating an app. They can create products and design products to sell to the average person. They print them at home, and it'll create a new economy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. So I, I think we should, uh, maybe moving forward, we'll do a whole episode just on 3D printing yep. and, and where we see it going. And, you know, I, I, once we get the printer that we ordered, it's called the Tico. I would love to even do some prints and maybe talk about what we've seen with this, you know, under yeah. two hundred dollar printer. So I'm sure you're gonna have a lot of questions on that one. Yeah. Uh, do you know what software it uses? It has its own proprietary software that's gonna come with. Uh-huh. I get updates on it all the time. They're supposed to be shipping out either at the end of this month or at the end of ne- or next month. So we should have it hopefully soon. And uh, there, there's been a lot of updates and and it'll be interesting how it works. It, they seem very communicative. They, they communicate quite a bit with the, the people that ordered one. So I think it'll it'll work well. They've done a lot of testing. It'll be very transparent about their testing and the issues they ran into with manufacturing it for such a low price. Yeah. So so I, I think it'll be... And, and I've already started doing some research on how this stuff works. You know, I, I've already got a bunch of models waiting to get printed when the thing comes. So it'll it'll be good. Yep. All right, well, that's, that's going to be it for news. We're going to move into our next segment. We're professionals here segments on the show (laughs) (laughs) so this segment is product of the week and this product is brought by claudia yeah all right so this product is actually a concept as of as of now and and to be honest what i did is i i i saw this on, on on my phone while i was in the, on the bus and um and it was in it was in a um page in from Colombia it's called La Vioguia and um what was really interesting it's a a tent that it's a solar based uh tent and what caught my attention is so Jose and I went camping uh, not long ago and I had like many issues going camping because I'm just an urban dweller I don't go camping I don't do camping and the whole time at night not having light available to me was really <laughs> freaky <laughs> i really needed light and then the the you know i kept on telling myself i really needed to have those like headlamps which i'd never bought because you know i'm a latina i just don't do that stuff um so like i really thought this was really good because it's like you're using your the solar energy to to basically harness the the electricity throughout the day while your tent is up and you're out you know hiking doing whatever and then you, at night you can just re, you know light it up again yeah but let's be honest though this one wouldn't have helped us because we hiked throughout the day when we got to the location it was night you would not have collected any power 
ah, but see, you could put it in a backpack, right? And then that way, like, you could Well, you could have charged it beforehand. That's the other true. I guess you could have charged it So, I mean, it's... So, the, the basic part of this thing is the fact that you can use that now. Once they, this particular tent... Um, it's called the Solar Concept Tent, is actually used for um, concerts. That's basically how it was uh, it was marketed. And uh, the main idea is to... Um, to to put power to power up your cell your your mobile charge to charge up your yeah to charge up your your iPad and your cell phone while you're at the club or at a at a concert raving about you know like music and all this other stuff and then you can share it with your friends and you know like you have all this electricity there so it's interesting how many concerts are you raving at in my good old days I did rave a lot but again raving happens at night so that's when you you know like during the day you're sleeping so might as well harness this the this isn't just where you develop like this, this is like one of those like weekend festival things where you spend you're scamping out or something is what you're yes doing, right? yes yeah. yes yeah. And, that, and that they have a lot of those now right. and you yeah. know like and you're spending a lot of money on these tents and then you go with them and yeah it's, a, it's an interesting product I guess the question to me would be it'd be interesting to see clearly it's not it, we're looking at a rendering here um, how these solar panels fold up. I, want, I, want, I, you know, I know a little bit about conventional solar panels that are used to power the house. I wonder something portable like this, how easily it would fold up into a tent. You know? Yeah, and, and that's an interesting question, but I don't want to glance over uh, the, the, the uh, primary uh, thing here. I like the idea for, for different reasons than you guys like the idea. Um, as, a, as a tent for camping, or I would classify this as a glamping tent if, mm -hmm. if you're going to be using that. Um, uh, and, and you you kind of hit it on the head at the concerts or uh, as as part of shelter where you're doing something else. But for the sense of actual camping, uh, as you know, I have done a little camping. Because <laughs> you rough it. That's the thing. Uh, you're yeah, out with the bears. You, when you, went you would right? be crying, Claudia. You would be in tears <laughs> probably the first 15 minutes. But... Um, so what I do like about it is not for that use as a camping or glamping tent or as a shelter at a concert. I like this as a uh, as a temporary shelter, as even a replacement shelter for uh, homeless people in the homeless environment. Uh, it, it actually gives them and or would I should say uh, would give them the the type of access to to features and systems that we all take for granted now just electricity alone having a roof over your head being able to charge uh, any device so uh, in particular with programs that are in place that people can qualify for cell phones etc etc uh, if it could be built at a at a rate uh, at a cost that was reasonable uh, it would be very similar to a lot of these tiny houses that are being uh, built for um, homeless areas so uh, as you know uh, people move around and homeless people like to move around too it gives them that ability to be mobile and not tied to one spot and still have a shelter over their heads and mm -hmm. electricity if they need to uh, and if you read the article uh, carefully it also has heating under electric under the floor heating mm -hmm. which would yep. be an incredible feature for someone who is who is uh, you know down on their luck and they uh, they don't have anything else. At least they don't have to freeze. That's really so, good. Yeah. So I like it for that purpose, and really not the intended purpose, because uh, let's face it, as designed, 
it would be quite expensive and only people who could afford it could have one but I like the concept and to be able to explore it as far as something that is much more affordable that would be mass produced and available to the people who need it instead of the people who want it I, I love that idea and yeah, no, you know I agree we're looking at it it's very much like a that episode of Parks and Rec where they go camping and Tom brings everything from what did he order from that air Sky Mall Sky Mall or whatever he has this tent that he's just sucking power out of the cars. That's how I picture. Yeah. Uh, that's how I, I pictured Claudia. Yeah, you picture Claudia. Yeah. No, see what you should picture Claudia doing. This is is like if I were to go and protest in front of the White House and uh, you know like I do the Occupy like you know oh, DC right. type of thing. That's what they did, right? They had a whole bunch of these things, mm -hmm. and that's perfect no, they didn't because have a whole bunch of, they roughed it. <laughs> they were sleeping on hard concrete. No, they, they had tents, and you know this is great because then they can use social media while they're doing all of their <laughs> their <laughs> campaigning and and disrupting the city and all this other stuff. So, yeah, hey. yeah. No, you know what? I like what both of you are saying. I think it has its but I uses. Re I really like Ray's idea. That's yeah, actually yeah. really good because that's that's one way to empower the homeless and then maybe they can even you know like like to find jobs and then to continue doing that i mean you can do so much with this mm -hmm. absolutely yeah, yeah. i agree i think good potential product so let's see hopefully moving forward where it ends up um at this point it's still a concept but uh we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it to see if it comes to market yeah all right let's move on to the next segment of the show the main topic here so let's play some music again So our main topic today is we're going to talk about the IKEA effect. Um, why don't, Ray, why don't you tell us a little bit about this because this is a topic that you wanted to bring up. So yeah, this is an interesting article published by Psychology Today. The uh, writer is uh, Travis Carter. Uh, bringing, uh, bringing to the light why IKEA in general, why IKEA has become so successful. And it isn't because they make the best furniture ever designed or even built. Uh, the reality is that the furniture is not uh, not equated with fine quality, but uh, it's it's pretty average furniture that has cutting edge, or should I say Scandinavian design, uh, built into it. the The psychological issue at play that makes it so uh, IKEA so successful is that people are driven to make things themselves. It's something innate. We we all at some uh, form or another make something and when we do it we feel better not only about ourselves but but about the things we made even if they're awful terrible things uh, you can build a, a four-legged table and none of the legs are the same length and you are still very uh, very proud of this thing so you have invested part of yourself into the uh, to the making of something and you know the average person especially uh, the average IKEA consumer doesn't have access to you know a, a workshop to work in and tools or possibly even the skills required to to make a table or a shelf or or a, a chair uh, but they can satisfy that part of the innate quality to make something mm -hmm. with an Allen wrench and a screwdriver and they put it together and they have that satisfaction and it, it's an interesting feature, an interesting subject that was covered in the article that people, when they build something, even if it's just to assemble it, feel that it has more value than it actually has and 
it is more valuable than they are willing to pay for it once that they are directly involved with its uh, its assembly mm-hmm. no you know and I agree with that concept in general uh, th- there's a part of me that questions it because you know furniture that you build yourself has been around for a while you can go to like the cheapest Kmart possible and buy a shelf that you put together yourself but people don't hold that in such a high esteem I think this to a degree is a combination of that ability of putting it together yourself plus good design yes yeah the, the piece itself is cheaply made let's be honest like yeah furniture by as you said is cheaply made but it still manages to look a certain nice way you know like a way that it makes you feel like you bought a designer piece yes and I think that's a big part of their success and a big part of why even the maker movement is what it is is because you're able to make something that looks nice and it's something you put together yourself so I don't think the design part of it can be taken away from this no absolutely not and that's why I mentioned the Scandinavian design because that's really where it is Uh, it appeals to a great number of people and here in the United States where there's uh, there's always been a a love of traditional furniture Mm -hmm. uh, things that are are modern or Scandinavian has a a new feel a new appeal to it that especially appeals to young people yeah and that's when i fell in love with ikea when i was when i was in college and it was when i when i was in florida actually when i met you guys when you know like and i came up here i came back to see my family in in the dc area and ikea opened up and one of the things about ikea is that so yes the do it you know build it yourself is part of the the ikea effect but it's also the experience of ikea is also part of the ikea effect because you can you the way i the way i I sort of like describe this is like the ikea customer or the the consumer that ikea is trying to target is tends to not be lazy the lazy consumer tends to want flexibility tends to be creative and tends to be free and kind of like it's okay to be like okay they're comfortable with risk and all of those things like are youth and right. like when I came the when I went to the first I to my first Ikea it was like great number one is I hit a choice which is amazing and I have multiple choices mm-hmm. and then it comes packed I have to go through the showroom and then I have to go and pick up you know my my pieces mm-hmm. and they're all perfectly packed so that's what I did I like picked up my bed I packed it up I Later on, I picked it up and I took it straight through a bus to a, to a yeah, Greyhound, and I shipped it down to Florida. <laughs> and I shipped down my my bed all the way down to Florida. Oh. And when I when I was in in Florida, I had my my bed, my IKEA bed. Well, and I remember people that living in Florida, and we, we didn't have an IKEA at the time in Florida. Yeah. Everybody was like, "Oh, I want to go to IKEA." I remember we came to Pittsburgh once for a conference for school, and there was an IKEA, and everybody was, "Oh, let's go to IKEA and, and take what we can with us." But I think part of the success for IKEA as well is the way they place things, right? They, they, their showroom is in a way where you can see yourself living in that space, and Absolutely. all of their pieces are there. You can picture yourself with living with this stuff. And then on the opposite end is the 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 consumer that is not an IKEA mm-hmm. customer that does not follow the IKEA effect, and that would be my sister, for example. Mm-hmm. Like she she tends to like, you know, kind of be like kind of lazy about her furniture she just doesn't want to like put it together you know she'll look through catalogs and like pick a color Mm -hmm. that someone has already picked up and then like then you know we have some other friends that are very like interior designers that they want high-end furniture Mm -hmm. and they'll save up 
their paychecks to buy the one clock that's really high end design mm -hmm. or the one you know like coffee table that's high end design and then they like they really enjoy that table but it's just it's there just you know like don't you dare put anything on top of it well i think that's also true the fact that the ikea piece costs so little you're not afraid to use it right you can yeah. go sit on it you can do all of these things on it because you can live with it right yeah while you, when you think back it's interesting because if you live on it too much it'll fall apart on you <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is you don't want to live on it you just want to <laughs> live with it right yeah, be clear about that <laughs> yeah um which is funny because you know when you we we, I go to estate sales a lot because I, I, I hunt down certain pieces of furniture. I've grown to appreciate like the solidly be built piece of furniture. And you see the original mid-century furniture that a lot of IKEA stuff is sort of modeled after. They've held up, you know. <laughs> but those pieces held up. You know, we have the chairs that we have here are chairs that I found at estate sales that I'm, re I'm, re I'm fixing up because those pieces held up and you could pass them through. A lot of this IKEA stuff while it looks nice, you, you, these things are getting tossed out left and right. Yeah, yeah, but you can also, like, the other thing that we that we like doing, Jose and I like doing, is, like, hacking our IKEA furniture, yes. right? And the fact that you have this, you're buying it in, 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 in specific pieces, and then they come in different years. I mean, I have catalogs from, like, 2012, like, 2010 here that, you know, like, of pieces that, of small little things, like, you know, like, the... The, f the the legs for for a particular piece I still have some of those legs and I can still use it for something else right. and like so when I go to IKEA I will my creativity just starts flowing how can I hack this what can I add to this what can I move to this because I'm not spending that much money right. and yeah. when I hack it now it's mine and I really like it and, it's, and I fall in love with it yeah. and it's interesting what? something you mentioned there which was looking back at the old catalogs because I did that in knowing we were going to talk about this and I flipped back through some of the old catalogs and in their, their one of, some of the first catalogs, they used to put a photo of the designer in the catalog itself. And it was, you know, all of this Swedish-looking people, bold, black-and-white oh, photos, names. the glasses, and the crazy <laughs> names. But it was they were clearly sort of saying, we these are design pieces that you can afford it, you can have at this affordable price. I remember that. That wasn't that yeah. long ago. Yeah, it wasn't mm -hmm. that long ago. They, they really used to focus on who the designer was. You see that less now. Huh. But but it was interesting because the designer and the fact there's an affordable thing you put together yourself really is what took off. Yeah, and I'd like to uh, touch base uh, on something that uh, Claudia really pointed out here, uh, which I think is uh, is one it's n intentional. Not only is the furniture uh, high design, but also low quality, mm -hmm. uh, which is an interesting mix. Uh, you don't usually see that much effort put into something and then make it out of. Uh, basically compressed paper right. um, <laughs> <laughs> which is what the, the majority of their furniture is uh, but they the showroom itself uh, like you pointed out uh, uh, Jose uh, lets people see and they actually let you sit down and you meander mm -hmm. through a bedroom and a, a bathroom and a kitchen and a living room and it lets you see how you could uh, live with these spaces now those spaces are carefully designed mm -hmm. the whole layout is carefully designed and to touch base on what Claudia said, not lazy, not for lazy people, you better not be lazy the day you walk into an IKEA showroom because they're gonna take a 30,000 square foot showroom and make you walk two miles through every <laughs> inch of that place. <laughs> you yeah, are, you have no choice but to walk through every inch of that place. Yeah. And it was a very clever layout yeah. because uh, you might come in there for a chair and then leave with uh, an entire 12 piece dining room uh, set without even knowing about it. 
yeah. and if you pay attention, you can tell the people that go to IKEA a lot because they know where the shortcuts are, right? There's always like yes. there's a small gap between shelves where you can cut across. Like I don't want to see lighting. I'm cutting <laughs> through this. Yes, yes. Through this section. And they're very carefully hidden that you can't find them accidentally. Yeah. And then you see couples fighting. That's yeah, that's well, my that's yeah. that's also my, my other favorite part of IKEA. It's, it's funny. But and do they say we're just gonna see how we're gonna use this? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how how does it work? Can I throw something? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it, it sort of it's funny because IKEA sort of ingrained itself in our culture to a degree, right? Because I I've seen jokes about that on Thirty Rock. Um, there was a whole joke, we went to watch Deadpool and there's a whole joke about which which <laughs> chest was better which uh, drawer set was better and they're going back and forth on the names and this whole like 10 minute part of this movie they're talking about which drawer set was better from ikea <laughs> uh, and the blind woman's trying to put it together it's oh amazing. even better yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah it, it's it's uh, you know the other part that actually that you mentioned and i forgot to mention it when you had this set claudia is that you know we have like this interior designer friends that go on and they like buy this clock that's tiny and it costs so much money or whatever um, it's funny because I know working in, in residential architecture, now, I know an interior designer who, when there's a certain budget, she knows how to use IKEA pieces in a way that still looks higher end. So she takes the shelves, I think it's called their Billy, is it the Billy shelf? Mm -hmm. And she'll take the Billy shelves and put them in a built-in niche, and then she'll just, she'll buy expensive trim to go around the shelves, but the shelves themselves are the cheap, you know, whatever. $60 particle <laughs> board things, but all of a sudden board. she's trimmed them in this nice thing, and now the shelves look higher end. All of a sudden. Modern. And, and there's built-in shelves. And you know what? That touches based on what Claudia mentioned about hacking IKEA furniture. Yeah. And, uh, w and, and it's really great because, first of all, let's talk about the packaging. Uh, the Swedes really know how to put almost everything you need into a box for you to assemble. Because I guarantee you're going to have to make another trip down there for something that is not in the box. But that aside, um, <laughs> the hacking is, uh, of IKEA furniture is great because if you look carefully, you can actually find high quality items. For example, the feet, the furniture feet that, you're, mm -hmm. that you have to buy separately because they have so many choices. A lot of those feet are actually very well made. They're yeah. solid wood and they're turned or they're extremely well made mm -hmm. and economical. You could go in there and buy a set of feet for $15 or whatever they are and make your own furniture separately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as far as this concept of, of doing things yourself and and uh, the making spirit and that, that hands-on approach that, that the article mentions uh, as the IKEA effect, that makes it more valuable you can go there and actually buy a, a, a piece that is complicated to make that is actually of high quality uh, like the feet that are turned if you don't know how to use a lathe you're not gonna make it or if you gotta have a bandsaw and a stroke <laughs> sander and th things of that nature uh, you can get them very affordably and make your design and make your own furniture and come out ahead with something better than if you were to just buy it at IKEA yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because the feet thing, it reminds me, there is a company that's now come out and makes just legs that you can attach to your IKEA furniture so you can have different legs than what everybody else has on their IKEA furniture. Like it sprung even another in, another industry or another company making a profit out of the fact that you can hack this furniture. Yeah, and uh, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, and it goes back though still to that sense of us wanting to build stuff, which I guess it's a, you know, we were just uh, at this conference that we're just, 
lecture we went to this morning where one of the guys was talking about how we've from the beginning been making stuff and he had the example of this there weren't even arrowheads because they were too big but before they could make arrowheads they were still making these pointy tools and he, he just happened to have out one out of stone, stone. Mm-hmm. So he, and he, his point was that we've been trying to make stuff from the beginning so it makes sense that a company that's based around putting your own stuff together and adds on the idea of high, high design and all things, it's going to be successful Absolutely. And, you know, the making stuff uh, from the beginning, it's out of necessity. Right. Uh, humans are actually very poorly equipped to survive in the environment in which we find ourselves. But uh, being able to make whatever we need has really put us ahead. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that is one of the fundamental reasons why everybody has that. Yeah. Uh, even if you've never actually physically made a piece of furniture or anything, you've made things. If it's making a cake or... Uh, you know, making a cabinet or a shoe stand or wh- whatever it is, uh, even if it's just stacking a bunch of blocks to make a barbecue or a fire pit, at some point in time you have made something, and uh, and and whether you realized it or not, it was out of necessity, mm-hmm. uh, and and it it it, it uh, solved a, a particular problem, and that's really what making things does. It solves problems. Now we can, in today's time, today's age, we can actually take a little time and design it, mm-hmm. um, which is basically our, 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 all of our backgrounds is in design. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting part is how that is applied to actually make the everyday things that we all use. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because we've sort of, to a degree, and I think we're, we're, we're trying to pull back on that, we've made the making process so complicated that a lot of people think they can't do it. Correct. We've added layers upon layers to sort of uh, a barrier, if you will. Yeah, I mean, and speaking as a woman, it is a feminist. uh, Making is also a a feminist process because now not only, you know, like I really like how you guys were mentioning that everybody gets to make, everybody has been making. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in, in my own family, making sometimes, or even specifically to Ikea, going back to Ikea and the furniture, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's that's a men's job, mm-hmm. right? Or to work with tools, that's a men's job. To fix the car, that's a men's job. And to me, that, that was the wonderful thing, the empowering thing about IKEA, the fact that, yeah, I can put this together. Mm-hmm. I have no problem putting it together. Maybe I'm special that way, maybe not. Hey, who knows? But Next step, you're going to fix the car. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that will be next step. <laughs> But it is, it is, it does help. Yeah, it's equalizing. No, and it shows, it proves, it like it gives, it gives, it is. That's what I'm saying. It's like it's an empowering feminist movement as well, Mm -hmm. that women can actually participate in this as well, right? Well, you know, and women have actually uh, been making stuff for a long time. There are women wood turners and furniture makers and (laughs) designers and welders. You know, I'm glad Um, that's where you went. I thought you were going to be, you were going to be making cakes and making dinner. engine uh, model you know they modify engines and build engines mm-hmm. uh, 
they, they're doing a lot of stuff, and, but today it's much more visible than it was, let's say, 30 years ago. Yeah, and you know what? I think a part of that, and maybe that's something that we need to talk about in a, in a later on discussion, is I think, because even with the IKEA part of it, is the, the idea of wanting to hack and be able to do stuff, is that you can learn how to do it now from watching it online. You can watch a YouTube video, and now you can learn how to do something that otherwise you'd have to try and learn from somebody else. Right. And you know, that so is an excellent point, and I agree, that is a, a whole other topic yeah. of discussion, because the reality is making things is is just technical. It's technical right. skill. Uh, before you actually sit down to make anything, it needs to be thought out, designed, and a method of manufacturing needs to be approached. But once all that is solved, it becomes quite technical. You have machines, and there's a, a way to use machines and there's ways to take measurements and uh, basically there's th ways things get assembled so the reality is making stuff is just a technical um, skill that can be learned that anybody can learn but it, uh, it is those skills are, are, are actually not as widely distributed so people find them mysterious but they're, they're really just technical skills and as you said uh, before YouTube and all these videos uh, there were do-it-yourself books and people would you know open up a book and, and learn the hard way with trial and error uh, but today's modern times has really brought that down to the average person much much easier than than it used to be yeah. you know, and I agree in principle I would say it's not I wouldn't say it's just that I think it's it starts there because you know there's a certain barrier of you have to have the right tools and there's an economic part of it that yeah. enters into that equation yeah so it definitely right. starts with the technical part but you know certain things you know, like we were just talking about the 3D printer earlier. If you can't afford a $500, $600 3D printer, you're not making anything with a 3D printer. Absolutely, you're right. So, but, but I do agree that it starts that way. You have to start with the idea. You have to start with the how you're going to make it. And, and can't, do you know, do you have the ability or the knowledge to do those things? Mm -hmm. And then the other aspects come into it. Yeah, I mean, and, and that goes to, like, you know, we, some of us are really privileged enough to be able to have that knowledge and to have the access to funds to be able to do that. But at the end of the day as well, I think it's a fun process. Right. Like we often forget how fun making mm. is, yeah. right? And whether it's something that's really expensive, that it, that takes a lot of different components, that some of them are expensive, knowledge, the ability to read even, mm. heck, you know, that's something we need to talk about. Um, but it's a fun thing to do. Yeah, it hits something in in the in your mind psyche, and yeah. that primordial almost that's not there unless you're making something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because as you guys know, I've been making stuff for a very long time and I never actually f sat to think about uh, as entertainment the way you kind of describe it, Claudia, uh, being fun uh, as entertainment or as pastime. When I started making stuff, it was out of necessity and then it became uh, uh, it became you know a a work uh, related thing uh, so I made a living that way and uh, now it has gone back to being both I, I, I work in an environment where I make stuff but at home on my free time I'm making more stuff mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and I never thought to consider it as entertainment or pastime uh, because uh, there's an innate nature I I, I don't know what to do if I'm not making something. Right. So uh, looking at it now, I guess the reason I do it is because it is fun. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy it. I mean, it's relaxing. I remember going going up to your shop and when I was in school in Florida, 
yeah i didn't have money to go out and yeah club and go to my raves mm -hmm. because i didn't have money to do that <laughs> sometimes so i would i you know like my the most fun i had honestly was when i would go to the to your wood shop and watch you make stuff and see how from a piece of wood you would come up with something else and to me like that is something fun to do and it's not so much entertainment as i'm i mean you know, i'm sitting there watching America's maker, <laughs> you know, but it's, that, was definitely that was not entertainment, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a, f like, it's fun as in like, it's something that I enjoy. Yeah, see, and I'll come up from it's this, relaxing. Like, like the first things I used to make is when I was little, I remember being, you know, six, seven years old and, and maybe this shows a little bit of privilege that I had is that I was making myself things to play with. Right, so it was fun for me. I was the kid that had, I, my parents could only afford to buy me one of the Ghostbusters toys, so I had to make the rest of them out of the other toys I had. I, I was drawing ghosts for my Ghostbusters to hunt. And I would, <laughs> I would draw them, and then I would cut them, and I would do that. So it was entertainment for me to begin with. And that's what's driven me into being more, into more design work and, and making more things. Mm. So, so interesting. Right, we'll, we'll, maybe, you know, we, part, of, part of this can be that we'll have a discussion on how we all got into this as well. Uh, and and yeah, the things that can bring you into this. So. Yeah, and this goes back to our purpose-driven design, mm -hmm. making, and manufacturing. Yeah. Right? Our, our first show mm -hmm. is, this is like a great beginning. Yeah, actually this has been a great to subject to start, yeah. the, to start the, the podcast with. Why we're so, doing this. Yeah. yeah. So with that being said, talking about making and what we're making, let's move into that segment of the, the podcast. <laughs> talk about what we're what we're working on what we're making what we're reading um, I, I, I can I can go ahead and start because I've been I'm reading something I've read something and I've been in the process of making something so the first thing is that I've been I read a book by the artist Bans Banksy it's called Wall and Pieces an older book of his but the book you know I found it on the bookstore I still go to bookstores and uh, and it just caught me because you know I've no I've, I know I've known who he is at this point everybody knows of him, nobody knows who he actually is, which is, I think, part of his appeal. But his book was just a great collection of his works and the things that he's done to gain this notoriety. It has a lot of his uh, Banksyisms, I guess you could call them. Like one of them that I read on there was he called it brandalism, and he says, "Any advertisement in public space that gives you no choice whether you see it or not is yours. It belongs to you. It's yours to take, rearrange, and reuse." Asking for permission is like asking to keep a rock someone just threw at your head. And I thought that was just great. Like a lot of his, a lot of, it's a very small text, there's a very small amount of text in it, a lot of photos of his work and the things that he used to do, like going into, into the Louvre and hanging up his own work and seeing how long it stays up. And so if you get a chance, check out that book. And also check out his movie, which I've not yet seen. I have it on our Netflix to, to watch. It was, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to it on the show notes because I can't remember the name of it right now. But uh, so I read that book, and then I'm working on doing this uh, this device that cuts water bottles into plastic rope. I saw a thing for it on uh, on Kickstarter. I look at Kickstarter a lot, <laughs> so I, I I saw Kickstarter for it, and I just thought, man, th that thing is so simple to make. This Kickstarter is it's crap. And then I did a little research and I found other people that have made their own. So I'm in, I'm in the process of working on making my own out of things that I can find at a hardware store around the house. 
As a matter of fact, uh, I think about three or four months ago, I saw uh, a video for a gentleman in Russia mm-hmm. that built a machine that automates the slicing off of the bottles into long filaments. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. Did you get a chance to see that? I, I haven't seen that particular one, but I've seen uh, photos of other ones where people had like a crank on it where they could just crank it and things like that. Like, well, so what yeah, I like I about this one, one is it was mortar driven. Huh, you, nice. All you do is you cut the end off the bottle, you insert huh. it, and you set your, your width, and it automatically will, will do the entire bottle and coil it up on a spool. Yeah, you see, that would be worth more <laughs> for the Kickstarter than this. This guy just took a piece of wood and a metal sleeve, and then you pull it yourself anyways. Like yeah. You can make that yourself. So Yeah, right. and what was interesting about it is he was using that those bottles as fil- creating filaments that he would then cut to length, and create recycled brooms. That's what he was making oh, with it. Oh wow, brooms. So yeah, I hadn't cool. thought about it. That's pretty cool to make brooms. I've yeah. been thinking about it in terms of like making rope to tie stuff with that I have yeah. around the house, so yeah. Something so. more elemental. Right. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. gonna have to forward that to you because when I saw that, I was quite impressed. Nice. Uh, and uh, and maybe we can build one. We'll build a machine that does that for you. Yeah, that'd and be cool. And then we can post pictures, yeah. yeah. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Right, what about you? I know, Ray, you're always working on something. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on. Well, you know me, uh, uh, I, you know, nine to five, or should I say, the nine to nine, <laughs> I'm I run a machine shop where I'm making stuff for customers, and then I go home and I make more stuff. And uh, you may you may have seen my most recent project where I I built a machine, I built a lathe out of the yeah. stuff I had lying around, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, and at zero cost, didn't cost me a penny. I just looked around what I had put it together and in about 20 hours uh, for a cost of zero dollars I built a, uh, a lathe that I was able to turn a piece of wood and, and start making things from. Mm-hmm. That's cool and you've also posted videos of that right on your on your face on your, on your well on your oh. Facebook probably and also on your YouTube channel. Yeah my YouTube channel yeah I have yeah. Uh, all kinds of in fact I have all, all, most of the most of the stuff I've been doing recently is posted there we could put a link to that. Yeah, yeah we definitely have to add a link to that so people can go check that out. Nice nice anything else or? Well, you all got stuff, but that's that's the main one. So we'll post a link to that. What about you, Claudia? What are you? What have you been working on? So I, uh, I tend to work with other people and I make make stuff with other people. So recently, I've been uh, selected to be the in the chair for the environmental justice committee of the Sierra Club DC chapter, and I'm leading a group of about you know like seventy five to hundred. Um, volunteers and other people who are interested in environmental justice and I'll talk about this a little more later on what environmental justice is but um, basically what we're working on right now is putting together a um, health and impact um, risk assessment for a specific community in the DC area that Mm -hmm. is um, being um, that has that is dealing with exposure to a cement plant and everything else but it's really working with uh, other environmental professionals that are uh, from people of color mm-hmm. um, and working together with them to help a community so it's just it's the kind of work and that I've been wanting to do for a very long time and to be able to do that and see the outcome fairly quick how it will affect or it will benefit this community it will be great so yeah I'll keep you guys posted on that and yeah that that's sounds interesting the type of work yeah, I yeah, that's very interesting it'd be nice to, to, to learn more about cool very cool. Well, um, that's going to be the show for today. We're right about an hour, which is what we're going to keep it. Um, so we, you know, we'd like it if people like what they hear. Let us know. We'll I'll, we'll set up an email for this 
You can also leave us reviews on iTunes. Only the five star reviews, though. Maybe we'll read them. If somebody leaves a five star review, we'll read it on on the air. How about that? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, especially the first one. Yes, the first one. We the first one we'll read two weeks in a row. No, I don't know about that. Um, uh, and next week we're gonna talk about. Well, maybe we'll talk about. I have an idea. Maybe we should talk about some uh, architecture in movies. We'll, we'll try and make something light, something fun to talk about next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and we'll also cover a couple of news stories. So now is that architecture in new movies or just in movies in general? Uh, I don't know. We'll you know what we'll talk about that. We'll have to figure something. Probably maybe more new. Just uh, you know, we don't really know what our audience is. We will. Yeah, well, maybe new movies. I don't know. I love movies. So I could even do just like in just animated movies <laughs> and I would have a, a fun time with that too so yeah. that would get really interesting but uh, no we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that off air but, but we'll figure that part out but it'll be something light and fun so let's tell everybody where they can find more about you how about you Ray let's start with you you have a Facebook group tell them about your Facebook group yeah well the Facebook group is uh, is interesting when I when I built my uh, my late I didn't uh, my first my well my second or third late I'm not even sure which one it was I really wasn't thinking too much about it, but it turned out that there was quite a bit of interest. Mm -hmm. uh, so I created a Facebook page to help people to build their own lathes at home for little to no cost. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a lathe uh, it can be an expensive investment. So if you can build one for very little cost and start uh, exploring your, your uh, making uh, desires and satisfy that urge, uh, sometimes it's hard to find information on how to do it so I decided to make a group that does exactly that uh, people post uh, comments and questions they post the projects they're working on they post uh, lays that they've built and uh, it's a community that helps people that uh, want to build something not sure how to get started or they run across a specific problem uh, to get that problem resolved and get building nice nice and what's the name of the group again it's called uh, homemade lathe homemade if you lathe. type in homemade lathe in, in Facebook it's the only group that is like that very cool, cool, and uh, and you also have a YouTube channel, but that's probably harder to get on. We'll, we'll get a link on. Uh, up yeah, because that. that channel is uh, is gibberish. You couldn't yeah. you couldn't read that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and we're gonna try and get you on Twitter. I know you're not on Twitter yet, but we're gonna get you on Twitter before before episode five, I predict. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's, bec that's because if you haven't noticed, I'm above forty, so uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff is is already uh, beyond my my uh, comprehension at the moment. We'll get you on there, and you'll you'll start liking it. We'll see. We'll, you'll see about that. All right, Claudia, right. how about you? Tell well, since I'm you. below forty, um, you can find me on Twitter at, at City Ecologist. I can also check out my website at thecityecologist.com, and uh, yeah, also like yeah, those those are the main two areas where you can find me. Yeah. Yeah, and you can find more about me at City Aperture, and I my website is uh, cityaperture.com. So you and can you're a photographer. Yeah. yeah, I also do some photography aside from the architecture. So. You'll find someone work there. So yeah, hit us up if you like what you're hearing us. Hit us up there as well. Hit us up at our Twitter account or at, or at the Facebook. And uh, please come back next week. Next week we'll, I promise will be a little bit more lighthearted discussion about something a little more fun. Although I think the IKEA one was fun. Yeah. yeah. And share this podcast with your friends. Yeah, yeah. Please tell people about it. If you like what you hear. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Thank Bye -bye. you.